Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Monday Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you. Unfortunately, all of them deal with the ongoing mayhem in our streets of our major cities, as we've seen in recent days from Portland to Kenosha to even Washington, D.C. last night. Uh, There were people going through neighborhoods and making lots of noise and telling people to wake up and get in the streets. And Jim, as we know from gridlock protests, that there's nothing that motivates people to join your cause more than to get in their way and to wake them up when they're trying to sleep. You know, it's actually, ironically, not allowing people to go to work kind of foreshadows our first martini, I think. It does. It does indeed. So what to do with all the people causing mayhem in our streets? Uh, The mayors seem to have very little interest in doing anything about it. Some governors have very little interest in doing anything about it. And those same mayors and governors don't want any help from the federal government. So maybe there's another way. Unlikely to happen with Democrats controlling the House. But uh, here we go. Uh, The Daily Mail has the story of Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana proposing that those engaging in rioting, looting and arson should be stripped of federal benefits accessible during the COVID-19 crisis such as the $600 per week unemployment assistance drawn from the CARES Act. In an interview with WIBC, Banks says he believes a majority of rioters who intentionally disrupt protests are currently unemployed and receiving benefits. Quote, due to enhanced federal benefits, taxpayers are giving wages to jobless rioters that are destroying our communities. We need to cut them off from their funding and make them feel the full financial consequences of their actions. Quote, many of these people are not working. They have the time to show up every day at some of these violent protests, like in Washington, D.C., and they're getting $600 a week of unemployment to do it. That's got to stop. He also wants to see these people pay restitution for the damages they've caused. So, Jim, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi is going to get right on that. But uh, what do you make of the idea? I I think this is a sort of proposal that will poll very, very well. Um, this is not the first time we've seen violence in American cities. Uh, you probably could look back and think to the L.A. riots. And actually, that first day, there were uh, other you know, civil disturbances in places like Atlanta. Uh, back in the Obama years, we had Ferguson, we had Baltimore. But we've never seen anything quite like this, this level of scale. And this sustained, particularly in a city like Portland, where they've had a pretty much on and off riots for the better part of three months. And you look at that and you're like, OK, you know, maybe some of these people have jobs to get to in the morning. Most of them look like they don't. They certainly don't act like, well, if I get arrested, I'm not going to be able to show up to work and might, might lose my job. Um, you know, you kind of wonder if unemployment was not above 10% nationwide, worse in some states than others. Would you have this same situation? Is some of this driven by the fact that people have nothing else to do with their lives. Uh, is some of this driven by the fact I've asked by, you know, the sheer number of shutdowns and restrictions on life we had during the coronavirus quarantines, where going out to these protests is the only thing you can do. It's the only form of social interaction where you're not going to get somebody wagging their finger in your face. Um, so you look at this and you're like, okay, maybe this is, and there's an economic component to this. And finally, you know, I think most people say, look, if you are setting fires, if you are assaulting people, if you are committing property damage, you know what? You do belong. You, know, you, you should be paying for this. You should be. Uh, this should be coming out of your pocket. Stop hitting the taxpayers for this. Taxpayers didn't do anything wrong. You guys didn't. So the first thing is, yeah, no, you do lose your your uh, 
unemployment assistance, certainly your bonus unemployment assistance. Uh, and then the uh, the rest of the costs, yeah, we should, we should be socking these people with it. There's a broad consensus that protests and looting are not the same thing, that protests and rioting are not the same thing. And it is considered, so when people say, oh, how could you do this? You know, Jim Banks is going to try to crack down on protesters. No, <laughs> none of this is, you know, discussing people going after it. This is, uh, you know, a question of if you are convicted of a federal offense while at a protest, which police are present. This is not, uh, you know, minor stuff here. So, let you know, we'll see how this shakes out. I think it's a good idea. Obviously, it's not going to go very far in the House. But, uh, you know, I, I think this is the sort of thing where you kind of wonder if you get a discharge petition in the House, whether there might be a certain number of Democrats who might feel a need to shore up that they are uh, not turning a blind eye or hand wave, waving their hands at the, the uh, violence in the streets. You know, look, you, you could see, I could see some Democrats feeling nervous about this. I could see the the Jim Cunninghams of the world. I could see the, the Democrat representing Oklahoma City. Uh, I could see Democrats up in the Pacific Northwest maybe feeling a certain uh, pressure on this. So we'll see how things shake out. But uh, glad to see the proposal and we'll see if this uh, can gain any traction in the coming weeks and months. It's actually called the Support Peaceful Protest Act. So any accusations that he's trying to stop all protesting, uh, hopefully the, the title can... Uh, Put a little bit of uh, clarity on that. Although, as we know from Congress, you can come up with some pretty crazy titles for things that don't actually mean what they say. But uh, this seems pretty cut and dried. You, you can sit there and think the entire name, how many hours they spent trying to come up with just the right acronym. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> or they could just lie and say, you know, like the Affordable Care Act. Things, things, there like, you that, go. things like that. All right, let's move on to our bad martini. And like we said, everything's uh, related to the protests in the streets. Jim, this dual strategy, dual messaging from the Democrats right now really is mind-boggling. I'm sure Biden didn't come up with it on his own, but uh, it, it's so paradoxical because, you know, Trump sent uh, federal personnel to Portland to protect the courthouse. Oh, my gosh, authoritarian strongman. How dare he get involved uh, from a federal perspective with this? He's offered to send National Guard to Kenosha. And at first, Governor Evers there didn't want anything to do with that. And so uh, now he's saying it again about Portland. And we'll talk about more about Portland's Mayor Ted Wheeler and the crazy martini. But uh, on and on and on, Trump wants to intervene to try and restore some law and order. And he gets rebuffed all the way. But he's also responsible for the violence, Jim. Here's uh, part of what Joe Biden had to say last week as they trotted out this messaging once they saw the poll numbers going south. He just keep pouring fuel on the fire. He's encouraging this. He's not diminishing it at all. This is his America now. And you want to end where we are now, we've got to end his tenure as president. So, Jim, I'm guessing if you polled the people rioting as to who they're supporting in the 2020 presidential campaign, um, I'm sure a lot of them would have preferred Bernie to Biden. But nonetheless, if it's a binary choice, I'm pretty sure I know which way they'd be leaning. So uh, what do you make of the uh, double messaging here from the left? You know, Greg, in the last couple of months, we've seen one clear cut case where the response to protesters and at least some level of violence in the form of setting fires uh, was directly controlled by the Trump administration. That was in Lafayette Square a couple of months ago. That was you know, directed to the Department of Justice. We saw the US Park Police rolling in with the cops. We saw the, the smoke bombs. We saw the uh, uh, non-lethal projectiles. We, this, this was not a light one. This was, this was a pretty heavy handed one. A lot of people objected to it. A lot of people said it was too much. A lot of people said it was an overreaction. A lot of people said it used tactics that were not necessary or called for. And of course, a lot of folks saw this as basically setting up a 
uh, photo op for the president in front of the church. But the one thing I think we can safely say, based on everything we know about Donald Trump, is that he does not underreact to things. He does not uh, shrug them off. He does not, you know, he when he sees people protesting, particularly outside or uh, and things, he does not say, "Oh, let him go do it. Let's not overreact. Let's let's you know, let's let's slow down. Let's give him a little while. Let's see what happens." The question is, how would Joe Biden? In today's morning, Joel, I laid out the entire statement that was emailed out by the Biden campaign. It, it, it's fine. It does. I could have done without the. It says all the right things, and then it goes out and blames Trump for the rioting. Well, it's not like Trump's telling anybody to go out there. And the other thing is that we've known from Portland, and we've seen in uh, Seattle, and we've seen in Chicago and New York, and all these other cities that have had this violence. The National Guard really can only go in without permission of the local officials and cooperation of local law enforcement uh, in a really extraordinary circumstances. And Esper was among those saying, Mr. President, we haven't reached those circumstances yet. Um, if, if Donald Trump, instead of running for president four years ago, had decided to run for mayor of Portland, God knows why, you think he would have handled this differently? If he had been mayor of Seattle, do you think he would have had shop operating for weeks and weeks and only intervened after the second death of a child? No, Donald Trump would have, you know, smashed this thing. Uh, the first opportunity that came along, you know, you can argue about whether that was too much of a response or not enough or, you know, an appropriate response. But the thing is, you know, that he's not going to underreact. You know, he's not going to take this lightly. Trump has been screaming on Twitter that he can't wait to send in the National Guard. And a lot of times he said things about shooting, you know, the looting starts, we shooting, the shooting starts. There are a lot of times Donald Trump says things that are, you know, uh, you could argue are, are incendiary. You could argue that are, um, that, but here's the thing, when Trump says stuff like that, no one should say, eh, Trump's bluffing. <laughs> no one should say, oh, the president of the United States, he doesn't really want to do this. This is just saber rattling. He's not really going to use federal authorities to try to lock down the streets and get things under control. That's, that's what Trump wants to do, Mr. Law and Order. Um, with Joe Biden, he put out this statement that was, you could almost see the focus groups nodding and it was so carefully calibrated and it was nice. And, um, Greg, do we notice any, any reduction in violence? No, not at all. I have long subscribed to this idea that actually it doesn't really matter what presidential candidates or the president says about riot. The, the rioters aren't listening. The rioters don't care what, what leaders are saying about this. The only thing that changes this is the actions of people on the ground, in the streets, who can confront them or deter them. And to do that, you need either the police, you need the local police, state police, use federal authorities, U.S. marshals, folks like that, or you can use the National Guard. Those, those are your options. And I feel like, and I wrote about this in the, in the Jolt today, Ted Wheeler and Jenny Durkin and uh, arguably Lori Lightfoot and, and maybe even you know, de Blasio, they've all been looking for this non-police option to get this under control. And I got news for you. It's been three months. It doesn't exist. There is no there there is no way that spontaneously these protests stop. There is no way that people just get tired of looting. They, that there's always some other store window that they can smash and take some stuff from. Uh, until you use it's still legitimate use of force from the government comes along and makes clear if you do this, we will stop you. We will arrest you. We will tackle you. We will put you in the ground. We will put handcuffs on you. We will put you to jail and you will be charged with crime until that mentality takes root again. This is not going to go away. And you're beginning, there's, there's been this, you know, over the last weekend, there's been this growing consensus. Hey, when this first happened in May, after the, the initial George Floyd protests, when Minneapolis was looking really bad, 
there's your first example. That was where our moment to, just like the, actually, ironically, the interesting parallels to the pandemic. The sooner you intervene to control a problem, the easier it's going to be. The more you let it linger, the more you let it fester, the more you let it get worse, the harder it gets. And it's just been this deep frustration that these local officials have just kind of believed that we're going to solve this, but we're not going to use the police because people are very angry at the police. Unfortunately, there is no substitute police force. The closest thing we have to that is the National Guard. And for obvious reasons, people are worried. The National Guard's job is to fight wars. They are trained in the military. They can do riot control. They can do civilian patrol. They work pretty effectively in Los Angeles riots after a couple of days there. But that was, you know, one particular set of circumstances. We've never had really had something where it's this many cities across the country. This is a ultimately at the end of it, a failure of those mayors, a failure of those local officials to recognize there is no backup. There is no substitute for the police saying, no, you cannot do this and we will charge you with crimes if you do them. You know, it's only too bad that the Biden campaign wasn't able to do any vetting on their vice presidential uh, selection this year. (laughs) Kamala Harris's tweet yesterday, I joined Joe Biden in condemning this violence, meaning the violence in Portland where uh, someone was shot to death, in fact, of course. Uh, She says this cannot and must not be who we are. Back on June 1st, Kamala Harris tweeted, if you're able to, chip in now to the Minnesota Freedom Fund to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota. Jim, I don't know if you paid attention to who was actually getting arrested and taken into custody. Uh, I guarantee it wasn't the -the run-of-the-mill protester. Uh, It was the people doing a heck of a lot of damage there. So uh, I'm sure if you asked her about that tweet now, she would giggle and say that was June uh, or something like that. But uh, Kamala Harris, not the most credible spokesperson on this. Greg, we're building up to. (laughs) Oh, Greg, that was Tuesday. Um, (laughs) But you think somewhere in the Biden campaign, somebody like maybe a Chris Dodd type is just looking out a window forlornly and thinking, too late to sub in Keisha Lance Bottoms, mayor of Atlanta. (laughs) She was was pretty tough on him. She was pretty straight. She that first couple of nights with the CNN Center. She went out, she ripped him a new one. There was no indication that she was okay with this. She said this was an insult to George Floyd and to the idea that this was undermining the causes. There was no, there's no equivocation there. Oh, well, what are you going to do? You couldn't substitute. You couldn't, you couldn't make any last minute changes now, could you, Biden campaign? I'm going to plant that seed and see if anything grows. All right, here we go with our crazy martini. And let's go more specifically into Portland, Oregon, where, of course, uh, there was the deadly shooting over the weekend. Uh, Jim, at the same time, the radicals uh, taking to the streets, I think they did take one day off, so they broke their streak. But they're somewhere, you know, like the 90 days out of the last 91, they've been uh, tearing up different parts of Portland there. And Mayor Ted Wheeler is the far-left mayor there. But his problem is, is that he can't get far left enough for these protesters. So no matter how much he grovels and begs and placates these people, uh, they still aren't happy with him. They want him gone. So they went to his condo a couple of days ago, uh, shouting outside about how he had to go. It's time for him to resign. Instead of finally just saying, I've had enough of you people. I'm actually going to let the police do their job, the job they want to do with you people that I've basically stopped them from doing for the past three months. No, no, he grovels again. Here's a little bit of uh, Ted Wheeler explaining how everyone has to do better, including him. This is a this is a time when this generation is being called to rise up, and um, I, you know I ask myself what more do I need to do at each and every moment. And sometimes, honestly, I have found myself coming up short. And when I come up short, I acknowledge it, I admit it, and then I move on. I fix what needs to be fixed, and I work with whoever I need to work with to make things right. And that's the path that we're on. 
Not all humans are vertebrates, it turns out. Ted Wheeler uh, does not <laughs> have a spine as, as it comes. I'm trying to think, Jim, what's the perfect analogy for this? And at first I thought it was, thank you, sir, may I have another from, from Animal House? But uh, no, it's this scene from, of course, Die Hard, one of the greatest movies of all time. And uh, it, it's when uh, they have the psychologist on set talking about what's going on as the hostage crisis at Nakatomi Plaza plays out. And here's what he had to say. An author of Hostage Terrorist, Terrorist Hostage, A Study in Duality. Dr. Hasseldorf, what can we expect in the next few hours? Well, Gail, by this time, the hostages should be going through the early stages of the Helsinki Syndrome. As in Helsinki, Sweden. Finland. Basically, it's when the hostages and the terrorists go through a sort of psychological transference and a projection of dependency. Well, that's only happening in one direction here. Not exactly sure why they called it Helsinki Syndrome instead of the Stockholm Syndrome, but that does remind us, though, that KFLW, uh, the TV station in Die Hard with Harvey Johnson, Gail Wallens, and, and Richard Thornburg, probably the worst local TV station I've ever seen, Jim. But uh, You know, Greg, remember back in 1988 when the idea of news anchors botching it that badly it was hilarious and wildly unrealistic <laughs> imagine them not knowing geography um so the the first thing you know who does not have a problem of protesters showing up and handcuffing themselves to things in their condo Lori lightfoot the mayor of chicago because you can't get within a block of her building because the chicago police have locked everything down there and when asked about this lightfoot said hey i have a right to live in peace Apparently no one else in Chicago does, but the mayor does. So, you know, there's, you know, somewhere Lori Lightfoot's looking at the Ted Wheeler and saying, told you. Yes, it does feel like the, you know, the, the uh, abused spouse uh, metaphor seems kind of fitting here. An important concept, I think, in, in politics and philosophy of governance and your idea of what government is supposed to do is what is your limiting capacity? What is your, your point where you're like, no, we can't do that? It is not permitted. It is verboten. It is taboo. Um, and, and I'm thinking about how there are a lot of problems with wokeness or social justice warriors and uh, leftism in general. Uh, but one of the things is that they don't really have any limiting concept. There is no uh, sense of, well, no, you cannot do this. This this is violating a line, in part because they think the Constitution is a bunch of suggestions on old yellowing parchment under the National Archives. Um when you see that crowd in the uh, shouting at that woman in the Adams Morgan Cafe, there's nothing inherent in the, whether you want to call it the Antifa philosophy, woke philosophy, social justice philosophy, or leftism, or any of these things. None of them says, well, you can't do that because that woman has a right to eat her meal in peace. Because the most important thing is to be woke. The most important thing is to be, to have the right attitudes. It is, you know, and of course, as we all noted, they are demonstrating their commitment to anti-fascism by rampaging through the streets and forcing other people to make gestures of submission to their will. You know, that's anti-fascism. Looks an awful lot like fascism to the rest of us, but fine. Okay, you know. The whole idea of the personal is political. The beautiful thing about the right is that you, or at least the traditional right, the idea of having the constitution is that the idea that there are certain things in life that are not supposed to be political, that are beyond the boundaries of, of politics and governance. And if somebody has some kooky idea, that you don't have to confront them over it. You don't have to deal with them. They're allowed to go off and be free and have kooky ideas. The, the general conservatism has never had much of you know, You can be a flat earther. You can believe the moon is made of green cheese. You can have any weird... The only becomes an issue... When your fist meets somebody else's face or something you're doing infringes upon the rights of others. That's it. 
that's when all of a sudden the government's like, okay, we got to step in here. This is an important matter here. This this is our way to say, what you're doing now is a problem for everybody else. But until that, you want to have whatever crazy beliefs you have, go right ahead. That's what's beautiful about the right. You're allowed freedom, liberty. You do whatever the heck you want. On the left, there isn't that same mentality because you thinking something different is bothersome to them. Your refusal to do what everyone else is doing is bothersome. That's a problem. It is, it is a danger to them. And I think it, it indicates a certain fragility to their ideas because it means that if one person says, no, I'm not going to raise my fist. I'm really enjoying the salad that I'm having at this outdoor cafe. I don't you know. It's not even hostility. It's not even speaking out. It is simply refusal to submit. This sets them off into you know this furious rage, and I think that's a very uh, telling indicator. If you, I, I, my guess is that very few of our listeners are politically undecided. But if you are, this should be a giant flashing neon sign. You know, I think there was a um, might have been Stephen Green who used to write under Vodka Pundit. He had some sort of thing like he was he, he was considered himself libertarian. He kept trying to argue with his members, his friends who were uh, registered members of the Libertarian Party and generally voted Libertarian. It's like, look, Republicans are going to interfere with your right to get a lap dance. Democrats are going to interfere with your right to speak. Right. That's the difference between the two parties. And now maybe you really love lap dances. That's your business. But it's one of those things where uh, you at some point you got to ask yourself, which of these two parties is going to do more to infringe upon your liberties to say, no, you can't do that because I think you should do something different. And I think it's pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. As if being, you know, the government requiring you to purchase health insurance wasn't the first indicator. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, Reagan said it best, right? I mean, they're going to ban everything and what they uh, don't ban, they're going to make mandatory. So that's kind of there you go. That's yeah. pretty much how liberals operate. Jim, uh, quite a start to the Monday. See you tomorrow. Uh, I can't believe it's, you know, it's it's only like, what, how many days till Friday? Four? <laughs> oh, my God. Pace yourself. Pace yourself. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. We would be very grateful for a five-star rating and a kind review. Also, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.